Welcome to Milkmaid's Podcast, the unconventional homesteading podcast. I'm Stephanie from Wyoming. And I'm Tara from Montana. Join us each week as we take a deep dive into an inclusive homesteading topic from canning, dairy animals, gardening, animal husbandry, and everything in between. Hey, Tara. Hi. Sorry we had such a long break, but, you know, life. Spring. Really. You know, yeah. And we can't apologize for our chaos every single time. Right. People just know. It's just, it is what it is. We are two garbage fire people. (laughs) Right. I mean, like, we could keep saying sorry, but they're, you know, it loses its meaning after a certain point. (laughs) We're sorry. Just as who we are. (laughs) Oh, well. This is fine. We're doing our best. Get off our backs. Right. No one's on our backs. Everybody's been nice. (laughs) They've been so nice. (laughs) Right. Oh, well. Who are we shouting out this week? This week, we're shouting out Red Ants Pants out of White Sulphur Springs, Montana, because of course. And if you're not from Montana, you probably don't know this. But if you are from Montana, this brand is really infamous for a lot of reasons because, of course, the fact that they have a company that produces amazing clothing designed for women. And secondly, the amazing Red Ants Pants Music Festival that is put on every summer in Montana. It's like a big thing, Stephanie. Seriously? Yeah, it's a really big thing. It's like this big music festival that you, if you live in Montana, then you at least know a couple of people that take their camper down and stay the entire four days. Where's it at? White Sulphur Springs. Oh, that's where the festival is too? Yes. Oh, okay. My favorite part about the festival is that it's held in like a random cow pasture in a very small town. And so many people are able to bring their campers, like I said, and park and enjoy the music, company, food, and drink for four days. That's a long time. So that's just really amazing. And Red Ant's Pants was started so organically by Sarah, who saw a need for pants that actually fit a woman's body and held up to the things that we also like to do, like stacking hay, working on trails, peeling logs, and just getting everything done that we need to get done. And on their website, Sarah mentioned how she was in a coffee shop one day reading a business book and a man looked at her questionably like, oh, you're reading that? To which she shared her vision of starting a clothing brand for women. And it turns out that the man was in charge of designing and producing a brand called Patagonia. I don't know if you've heard of them. (laughs) Oh, that little bitty guy? That little bitty company, Patagonia. (laughs) So Sarah was able to really take off with the brand with the right instructions and advice. And Red Ant's Pants was born that day. So the name comes from how red ant colonies have women do the most of the work, which I didn't realize that it was a thing until I read this. It's a a bug thing, apparently. Yeah. Women do all the work. It really is in every, like lions do too. Yeah. Yeah. I think of lions and honeybees come to mind. Yeah. So since red ants do all of the work and we need work gear, red ants pants is like the perfect name. It's really fitting, if you will. And the pants are really incredible they have reinforcements in all the right places and the pockets are actually functional which huge huge bonus and i did a little digging and i actually found out that they sponsor one one woman a quarter to receive a free pair of working pants so if you're interested we will have a link in our show notes but essentially you write a short one page letter on why um who why the person you're nominating should receive a free pair of pants. And I really just like to think it's incredible and speaks volumes of how good it is to support local businesses like Red Ant's Pants. Yeah, that's awesome. You can find them at redantspants.com. And again, we'll have that in our show notes. Sweet. Yeah. And if you want to ask us a question or 
um, send us a shout out, reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram at Milkmaids Podcast, or send us an email at milkmaidspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify nowadays. We're looking for shout outs all of the time. So send us anything you guys think is cool. What did you want to bring up about the news? It was something. And it, I feel like that was 10 years ago, but it was really just like several hours no, ago. Let me look at the exact thing. I was going to do it for the next episode, but since we're here. <laughs> we might as well. We might as well. And the way we are. Oh, forget. That's too long. Well, yeah, we'll forget or we'll get behind on our episodes. So I had seen on the Livestock Conservancy's Facebook page, which we had shouted them out a while back. A while back. It might have been our last episode. It was literally our last episode, our (laughs) pig episode. It's been forever. But they had posted that International Heritage Breed Week is May 15th through the 21st. Yeah. Which I just thought was kind of cool. Yeah. There even was such a thing. So if you have a heritage breed, again, if you don't know what that is, you can listen to our last episode and I do discuss that a little bit more. But if you have a heritage breed that you'd like to post on Instagram, maybe just tag them or use that hashtag um, and just like talk to people about heritage breeds and how important they are to keep those lines going. Yeah, totally. Do you want to do farm updates? Aren't your chickens shipping today? Did they ship already? In theory, I ordered them through one of the stores here in town, which is the first time I've ever done that. Oh, interesting. Um, But the company I usually get my birds from is no longer doing, I don't know if it's no longer or they're just not at the moment, but they're not doing conventional Cornish cross. So interesting. Pushed me to find some other place. And I'm, I'm like, I, I understand how prices work. I'm also sickened by how expensive birds are. Yeah, I'm sickened okay. by like literally all prices right now, honestly. Right, and like I understand it's not hatchery's fault. Like I get no, it. I no, it just you can be like shocked by it. Right, it's not necessarily something I'm going to call the company and bitch right. about. But I know it's nobody's fault. But I can get from so like the hatchery I probably would have gone with anyways. They have a shipping deal with one of the stores in town. Oh, and so because that store is a nationwide store. I can get them for under half of what I would be able to get them if I just ordered them myself. Yeah, that makes so sense anyways. because they're shipping in more. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, we're getting our first and only batch of birds this year sometime this week. I'm guessing Wednesday. Yeah. I'm guessing they ship today. So we uh, set up the brooder. I actually still have to do work out there tomorrow. And then I think that's all for the chicks. I've, I, I went and got a bunch of feed. That's about it for the chick front. Yeah. Um, goat front. I don't remember where we left off, but all of the goats have had their kids so far, except for Gracie. I don't know what her deal is, but I sent off blood work <laughs> on her. She is she is pregnant. I think that potentially that buck was harassing her. Remember how I left the buck in with her? Yeah. Or with all of them? I think maybe she was getting a little bit of the harassment. So either he didn't cover her, which I find hard to believe, or she potentially dropped at some point and then rebred. Oh, okay. my guess. So... Or missed a um, cycle, maybe. Yeah, yeah, or maybe two at this point. Okay, yeah, it has been yeah. quite a long time. Yeah, but she, I mean, she's fat. Like she's she's not fat, yeah. but she's pregnant. Like you can tell she's pregnant. But anyways, I'm trying to sell her, so I I, I went ahead and got blood work on that um, to confirm before I did sell her. So yeah, I got that. Sold a bunch of goats. Had somebody ghost me after agreeing to take the goats. Listen, and I gotta re-advertise said goat. If you're not going to take something and you just don't have the cojones to tell somebody that you don't want the animal, you're the worst type of person. Like, I would rather get a solid no right, than wait a week or whatever. Even if something came up or whatever. It's fine. Yeah. It's business. Like, whatever. 
but let Seriously. us know. Don't ghost. That's the rudest thing. Like it, it makes really me is. so mad. I know. So mad. And you know why that happened to you? Because I was worried. Uh, spoiler yeah. alert. I got rid of my boar. Yeah. And I was afraid that I was going to get ghosted out of getting rid of this boar, which I needed to happen. Right. So I cursed you. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're manifesting shit in my <laughs> I'm life at this point. It. So anyways, so we sold all the kids. Um, I did decide to keep two, but if this other goat now doesn't sell, I'll be keeping three, but we'll see. That's the goats. My laying chickens are laying eggs again. How many goats are you milking right now? Two. Two. Okay. At the moment. Yeah. Cause I sold one. So yeah, two. And I Not only have one, one history. kid on the property. Okay. Yeah. So that's like a lot of milk for one kid. Yeah. Milking to throw it away. It's really right. stupid. Yeah. Don't ghost people. Is this just why I was getting rid of goats in the first place? But yeah, that's been a whole saga. Yeah. But the chickens are laying eggs again. Yes. I still haven't really confirmed if it was a molt or if it was just stress from the the roosters. (laughs) I know. Anyway, so we're back to like not not fantastic numbers, but like yesterday I got five and today I got four. Oh yeah. So good. Better than nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Way better than nothing. It was one day this weekend we went out there and there was like a whole bunch of eggs. We must have skipped a day or something. Yeah. And um, I brought the eggs out in the bowl and Brian just looked at me. I was like, holy crap. I was like, I want eggs for dinner. He's like, I totally want eggs for dinner. And I'm one of those people. I hate breakfast for dinner. I hate it. I know you do. But we ate eggs for dinner. (laughs) So excited to have eggs again. Right. It's like a delicacy when you're... When you're not used to having something, so if, say your cow dries up, I know that you still get a lot of milk, and I have to because my youngest likes to drink it, but you just go yeah. without. I, I mean, for us, yeah. with eggs, we just eat no eggs, sans yeah. eggs for a long time. And yeah. then milk, I just won't drink it. Not at yeah. all. So it's just one of those things. And then you get it, and then you overindulge for a while. <laughs> right. No, I know. What else? The garden is, I mean, it's doing nothing. Like, we're just barely starting on the cleanup process. Yeah. But I kind of feel bad about it because we haven't had the good weather yet. I think we hit 60 once so far today. Or today. (laughs) We hit 60 once today. This season. (laughs) So it's that thing where it's like you don't want to rush it because of the pollinators. But at the same time, our season's 55 days long. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, ugh. So anyways. But the ceilings downstairs are doing well. I don't know what else. I just feel like we've been running like crazy. Yeah. That's the thing about spring. We've had company. My children are chaos. Always. They're both like they're both going through things right now. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. But anyways, what's going on your farm? Uh, well, my husband had surgery last Monday. So a week ago, it'll be like a week and a half. Anyway, he can't like lift or anything for like three months. So I've been doing everything, which is fine. But like you have to plan yeah. to get everything done. Interestingly enough. But Whatever. Uh, I have to clean the whole garden by myself, which is kind of daunting because it's, again, I left everything. You do the same thing just mm-hmm. for the pollinators. So I got all of that done. I cleaned it all. And then I've been burning piles by myself. And then my youngest and I planted seeds in the greenhouse today, which is like a little bit late, but whatever. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and what did you plant? Uh, squash. Oh. I did do squashes that way just to give them an early start. I've done it before. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, they'll be good to go? Butternut squashes, squashes, yes. Yeah. And then zucchinis, which I've done before. Like I know a lot of people just start them in the ground, but I just started them in the ground last year. I didn't have as good a luck as before when I just yeah, started. Yeah, you had something going on with last year's zucchini. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the deal was. 
I start all of mine in the ground. Yeah, which is fine. But I'm going to try it this way. And yeah. I have seeds still if I need to start them in the ground too. But like we had the stuff and I'm not starting tomatoes or anything obviously like that because they would be way late. And my kid wanted to do some in the greenhouse. So yeah. that's what we did. And we did do cucumbers too, which I've done that way before. I've had better luck transplanting them. So Yeah, I don't think you're too late at all for those types of items. No. Yeah. No, and then the they're rest... like three weeks, right? Is all yeah. they want. Yeah. Yeah. And then the rest, uh, like tomatoes and peppers, I'm just going to do in my greenhouse this year because I think I'll have better luck. Like last year, I just had horrible luck with tomatoes, which isn't typical. I've always yeah. had good luck. So I think I'm just going to do them in the greenhouse um, and like haul a fan out there. Yeah. I have those fabric bags. You know oh, what I'm talking do. about? Yeah. I'm going to try them in there because I think they'll be fine. Yeah. So I'm going to try them. And then I'm going to use, what is that string that you use? I'm going to use some of that. I just have a roll of twine. Okay. I'm going to try yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Then, for trellising. Yeah. Yeah. It'll fancy. be fine. No. And then we moved chickens to the tractor. They're not even five weeks yet. So they'll be five weeks Wednesday, Steph. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then we lost one today. But what is that called? It's I've heard it called water belly, but it, I can't think of. Yeah. I can't it. remember how to pronounce it. I can it spell it. Like A-S-C-I-T-S. Hold on. Everyone, hold on. Ascites. Ascites, which is a basically like collection of water or something like that it sounds like a greek god it does (laughs) it sounds way better than what it is (laughs) it's a dead chicken it's a dead chicken (laughs) right (laughs) it's not funny but it kind of ascites is like a really nice name (laughs) right i did take pictures of that because i just thought it was interesting like uh i did open up that bird because when i went in there it was like not moving so i decided it was gasping like you knew no it was dying so I picked it up and then I just called it myself because mm-hmm. you don't want them suffering there's like nothing I could do so did that and then I opened it up and it just fluid came out everywhere and there was fluid around the heart and everything that purple skin is like a dead ringer too oh yeah because I sent pun. you a picture yeah okay see and I didn't really notice the skin I just noticed the significant amount of water that came out of it you can tell a heart attack's coming on too when if like usually in the day or two before their combs will turn purple. Okay. I didn't mm-hmm. notice that, but Yeah, it just happens every once in a while in Cornish. Yeah. You've had them turn purple, haven't you? I've lost a few to a heart attack, yeah. Oh, okay. I wasn't yeah. sure. So that's not fun, but I guess one out of thirty one is not terrible. No, like you're yeah, no, it's that's normal. Three to five percent. So I'm just going to watch them and maybe feed them less because they're not eating all of their feed by morning time. Um, so maybe just feeding them less and they're outside now. So I'll just watch them. Anyway, yeah. long story. I lost one bird, but it wasn't because it was cold. It was definitely from that, what we were talking about. So yeah. That's really pairs well into our topic today. Do you want to tell the people what we're talking about? Well, poor Tara has been trying to get us away from talking about worms and I refuse. <laughs> she refuses. I refuse. So we're going to talk about vermiculture. What is vermiculture? Vermiculture is using worms to turn food waste into castings, which is an incredible soil amendment. Yeah. Like so, top of the tier soil amendment. Tier. Yeah. yeah. Like I saw this itty bitty teeny weeny bag at the feed store for $20. Holy shit. It's like, oh my God. Literally, holy shit. Holy shit, right. <laughs> oh my gosh. So first off, before we get too far into this, why worms, right? 
So in order for plants to grow in soil, the nutrient requirement must be met, right? So this is done in several different ways, but truly most of us are always just looking for ways to improve our soil, um, both in nutrition and structure if we're gardeners. Um, regardless of where you're starting off at, you know, some people are like in sand and really have a long ways to go. And then, yeah. um, like here I have pretty good soil, but I'm still like, what can I do to make it better right. or at least maintain it? You know? So worms are one way to accomplish this. Um, they're often referred to as ecosystem engineers and they improve the soil in multiple ways. First, they physically open up the soil by creating channels in which to move. And this allows water and air to get through. The other benefit of having aerated soil is to help the plants more easily move and send roots deeper into the soil. So this allows them to access more water as well as more nutrients. This open space in the soil also allows for bacteria and fungi to grow, and that also benefits both the soil and the plants as well. Yes. And opening up the soil is extra important if your soil has a high percentage of clay, which I know is the case for a lot of people. That was what we had in Colorado too, which is challenging. Yeah. Worms eat decaying material and then they turn that into usable growing medium for the plants. And this increases nutrients available to the plants. It's important not to just throw these nutrients onto the soil though, because they have to be in a form that's actually digestible to the plants. And vermicompost does just that. And not to mention that this also makes nutrients available to the soil bacteria, which contributes to healthy growing. And like all things, I maintain that bacteria is the key. We love a good all. bacteria. Yeah, it really is. So <laughs> compared to regular soil, vermicompost has t- five times more nitrogen, seven times more phosphorus, and 11 times more potassium. So if you have particularly sandy soil, you know that the struggles in holding water up where the plants need it, right? And vermicompost compost increases the soil's water holding capabilities, which means you need to water less and your plants can get more of the water. So that's really cool. And then all of this is really to say, like, decaying matter will naturally decompose and incorporate into the soil on its own. However, worms just significantly speed up that process. And not only do they themselves speed up decomposition by consuming the waste, but their poop, or castings, um, as they're called, contains bacteria. And the bacteria is really the superstar. They're the ones, the bacteria is doing the bulk of the composting of the material, which I didn't realize that was the case with worms. Yeah. So worm trivia, we have to do this, right? So a red wiggler worm has five hearts, sort of. They are actually called aortic arches, but they serve the same function as hearts of circulating blood. And worms breathe through their skin, which is like so creepy to me. (laughs) They must remain moist for the oxygen to be able to enter, which is why they die if exposed and dried out. We're all visualizing the school Mm -hmm. sidewalk with the dried out worms on there and feeling sad for them. Right. Depending I just on threw who you a, are. I just threw a worm back into my yard off the sidewalk. <laughs> You're like, not today, worm. Like it got out of my van, picked it up. Normal thing. Back in the soil. Yes. Yeah. It says thank you as it's you're I, eating it across the lawn. <laughs> which is what I did, right? <laughs> and worms have no eyes, just cells that are sensitive to light, which blows my mind. And casting is a worm word for poop. Why do we always give different words for poop? Because no one wants to say poop. It makes people uncomfortable, to be honest about things. <laughs> right. But let's say it more. Make poop comfortable to say. Listen. What? We say poop more than anybody I know. <laughs> Us, yeah. I know. Right. <laughs> it's true. 
If you didn't want to hear the word poop, you're on the wrong podcast. Listen. (laughs) Listen. And did you know that worms have a crop and a gizzard similar to chickens and they need grit to digest their food? That was one of my facts of the podcast, I think. Yeah. I had no idea. But worm sex is weird. And we'll save you the deal details, but they have both male and female parts and a lot of mucus is involved. There are sacs and cocoons. It's really quite odd. <laughs> Maybe Google worm Maybe sex don't. instead of density of rabbits. <laughs> <That's> weird. <laughs> but the cool part is that eight worms can reproduce into 1,500 worms in six months. And 1,500 worms can reproduce into 180,000 worms in the same amount of time. That's a lot of worms. That's a lot of worms. And worms are broken down into three categories based on the depth of soil they live in. Epigeic describes surface dwellers. Endogeic describes deep layers of worms that form a horizontal life. And anaseic describes worms that live in more of a horizontal life, dragging surface matter to the deep depths of the soil. Yeah, and so red wigglers are going to be the type of worms that you're going to consider when talking about vermicomposting. Red wigglers are the queens of this. They're surface dwellers, um, which is perfect because frequently we need things broken down on the surface, and also the systems we have built are not necessarily earth deep, right? So they're perfect for that. They also feed optimally at room temperature. And overall, they just do a really great job of converting organic waste into usable material. How many pounds do you order? Do you order them in pounds like bees? We're going to get to that. Okay, time. I'm jumping. You're, you're jumping. I have ADHD. <laughs> I want to know the answers now. Patience. <laughs> it's not my strong point. It's not. That's okay. So vermicomposting is just a term meaning employing worms to create compost for you. So essentially you can get set up to turn your kitchen scraps into black gold, which is vermicompost. And you can do this for relatively low cost and time and effort into setting up and maintaining it is like super minimal. The added bonus here is that you're diverting all of that waste from the landfill, which is always beneficial. Oh, for sure. One third of our food is wasted, costing um, $165 billion a year just dealing with food waste, not to mention the cost creating said food that we're wasting. Yeah. So, and that's like an American statistic, obviously. Yes. So because vermicompost is usually made in small quantities, it's typical to top dress onto your garden. You can spread it evenly if you want, or just use the, use it around extra demanding plants. So one thing people don't think about either is that frequently we have plants in the house, whether that be a house plant for decoration or like a small herb garden for kitchen use. And these plants can benefit from worm castings as well. And they're like worm castings are natural smelling, but they definitely don't stink. Like they just smell like good soil. So it makes it really good to use on house plants, which is always the if, case. If I were to get these, yeah, because you can't use like fish yeah, water is nasty. If I were to get any worms for vermiculture, I'd use it on my house plants. Yeah. And then this is just as an aside. This is super fun for kids. Like it teaches them like so many things and kids are just fascinated with worms. But like, yeah, it teaches them everything from like the concept of food waste and how much we do waste and actually visualizing that, which is yeah. cool. It teaches them how to take care of something that's not themselves, which is cool. Yeah. Meaning the worms. And then it teaches them like, all of the steps to like then taking care of a plant to getting that tomato or whatever it is, you know? So it's just really an awesome thing for kids. And one of the companies we're going to talk about, um, uncle Jim's worm farm.com. <laughs> um, he's got like resources to get kids excited about this. Like he's got kids kits and kids books about it. 
So I think that's really cool. Yeah. And here's the thing. You can do it in an apartment easily. Yeah. Anywhere, really. Types of worm farms. There are two main types of worm bins. There's a stackable bins and the continuous barrel. You have a stackable bin, don't you? Yes and no. Oh, okay. So yes, I do. I have a system that is the like prototype for the stackable bin. Oh, okay. But it's not very stackable. Yeah. Okay. So for continuous barrel systems, you can really use any container. Some people use an actual barrel, but Rubbermaid totes are super common as well, and they're totally fine for this. And remember that red wigglers are service dwellers, and ideally, they will want more horizontal space than vertical space. Whatever vessel you choose, you want one that is solid color or not transparent. Remember that worms like the dark because of those cells that can detect light. And you'll need to drill some holes in the bottom so that the excess moisture or worm tea can drain through, which is like, bless, whoever came up with that term. And if you plan to keep your bin outside on the soil, you can just let it drain out into the outside. But you may want to set it up so that the worm tea can be collected because it's also a great fertilizer. And this is really easy with the Rubbermaid totes because you can just stack them, which is better suited for inside your home. And if you decide to use the barrel system, you can create a door at the bottom, which will make for easy harvesting of the finished product. And essentially you will feed on top and harvest from the bottom. And with a continuous barrel system, the idea is that the worms will move up as they finish the composting and need to get more food. Again, they are surface dwellers. And the problem with these systems is that if you don't have everything just right, you can be harvesting from the bottom and still be taking worms out. But from here, your choice is to just add those worms to your outside garden and they will be beneficial out there as well. But that lowers your population in your worm bin, which is, if done enough, will slow down your production. And so you can also sift out the worms and then add them back to the top of the barrel or tote. So a response to this continuous system was the stackable bin system, which is by far more common when you're talking about in-home composting because it's just more user-friendly and takes out the sifting of the worm step. But it also requires special equipment, although it's not too terribly expensive, where the continuous system can really be made out of stuff you have lying around your house as it is. So Worm Factory seems to be the most common brand name out there that you're going to find for a stackable system. Uh, This is the brand name that I have, right? And like I was trying to say, so mine, mine has a bottom barrel... So the one I have is Worm um, Factory as well, but it was one of their original ones. So it's stackable in in this the sense it does have one tray to it, but um, that's all it has. So right. the good news is is it is elevated so that the worm tea will drain out into a spigoted area, but I don't have another tray to move them up. So anyhow, a friend of mine let me borrow this just to see if I wanted to do this or not. Um, yeah, I'm like ridiculously addicted to these stupid little worms in my mudroom. Yeah. Yeah. I love them. And my daughter will be like, I want to see the baby worms. So we pull worms out, let her hold them and stuff. It's really fun. So anyways, I think I'm going to be getting, I know I'm going to be getting a stackable system. I just haven't quite decided which one. Yeah. Anyways. Um, but an entire worm factory setup, you can get it for like 130 bucks. And that, I think that's not bad. I think they come, I've seen them like as a kit, where they've got like yeah. all the ingredient, quote unquote ingredients you need to start it. Yeah. Um, there's other more visually appealing types out there too. So like if I have a mudroom, it really doesn't matter what mine looks like. 
where yeah. my mudroom is. Like, you can't see it unless you're standing in the mudroom. Right. But if you're, like, in an apartment or something and it's going to be part a visible part of your space, there's this brand called Hot Frog Brand. Hot Frog. <laughs> they are, like, mid-century modern warm towers. And I'm sort, oh of, my gosh. sort of obsessed with them because... Right. My life is mid-century modern. So these stackable systems, though, they usually consist of at least two trays. Um, sometimes those are called frames. A sump area underneath with a drain spout and a stand. It's really all there is to it. The trays have a mesh bottom to them, and this serves two purposes. One, so the liquid can go down, because you don't, your worms won't do well in like standing water either. And the other is so that the worms can move up through the trays. And that okay. aspect of it is really what makes a stackable system desirable. So concept here, you're going to start with one tray. When that's full, you'll add another tray to the top, start filling that. As the worms run out of food in the bottom tray, they'll naturally make their way up to the top tray. And given enough time, all of the worms are going to leave the bottom tray so that when you harvest it, you're just getting vermicompost and not worms. That makes sense? Okay. Yeah. So then you move the top tray down and then add a new one, right? So you're just kind of rotating through. Yeah. And, um, some of these systems have three, four, five trays. It's like however much you want to have it, you know? Yeah. So the stackable systems just allow for less room for error. They're more of an idiot-proof, less troubleshooting right. version. Right. So how to set up your worm farm. Both of these systems are set up relatively the same way, although there is there are some nuances with both. If you are getting a stackable worm bin, they come with instructions so that's like really easy to follow and set up. If you want to do continuous method, you might want to dig in a little deeper just to make sure that you're setting it up correctly for whatever specific method you are choosing. So first you'll start with a temporary bottom cover. Some wet newspaper works great. This will eventually be composted, but for now it is to hold your bedding and the worms in instead of falling through the mesh or the drilled holes. Next, you're gonna add some bedding. And this can be a host of different things, shredded paper, shredded cardboard, or most commonly in the stack stackable systems is coconut core. Is that how you say it? Core? Uh, that's how I've always said it. Yeah. And you need something that will hold the moisture that the worms can move around through. You want to fill your vessel about two thirds with bedding. And ideally, you will wet the bedding until the moisture is absorbed all the way through. And if you're a patient person, you should do this prior to setting up the worm bin and let it absorb to saturation for about 24 hours. And when it comes time to install the bedding, squeeze out ac excess moisture. I Why didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. I no. Yeah. I did Too it about excited. 20 minutes before I set it up. Oops. So there's two the types of know. people. <laughs> there are two types of people. and We are not the patient type. Moisture is important though, because remember the worms need to be moist in order to breathe. So if you notice the bedding is drying out at any point, you need to add water. Now it's the fun part, adding the worms. How many worms seems to be a fairly debated topic. It seems like a thousand worms per one to two pounds of kitchen waste per day is a good reference. Now that is quite fussy for a lot of people because who's going to count that many slickery worms and weigh out trash? Not me. Not me, no. Mm -mm. Again, two there types are people of people out there <laughs> that would do. Which that. is so funny because I'm so like scientific in particular about certain things. Yeah, not that. I yeah, you would have to have more time on your hands. I think. Yes. Which right. don't get me started. 
<laughs> and if you get a stackable system, they will provide you with a recommended number of worms to start. If you are doing a DIY system, this is great because you can just guess. And you can't really go wrong here. If you have too little, just give them some time and they will reproduce and quickly build up your population. Remember that you are essentially building an ecosystem for these worms and they will be slow to break down material at first until their numbers grow then it will go fairly quickly. Or you can get a ton of worms and go wild. It's totally up to you. Yeah, and I ordered mine through Uncle Jim's Worm Farm, like I said. Yeah. And I just got a 1,000 for my stackable system. Yeah. In hindsight, I probably would have ordered double that because I'm not very patient. Yeah. Also, worms are more expensive than you would think. Really? Yeah, for the 1,000, it was like 50-some dollars. Oh, my gosh. And the shipping, was the shipping free? Or was it like calculated into the price? Mm. Don't quote me on this. I think that I got shipping free because I ordered so many monies. Oh, yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember. That might have been the case, though. That is kind of shocking that they are so expensive. I'm such a, like, sucker to that particular brand of marketing. Like, yeah. Free shipping over $75 or something like that. If a website doesn't offer a free shipping option, yeah. Sometimes I won't even order. It's like, I'll need, like, a $10 (laughs) thing. And if there's like no level of free shipping offered, I won't, I'll go somewhere else, spend $50 just to get the free shipping. Like <laughs> it's such I'm good marketing. I'm such a sucker for that particular yeah. little tidbit of marketing. Yeah. Right. When you first get your worms, they will probably be a little dry. You just need to spray them with water and they will get straight into wiggling. You'll need to use your hands to mix them up and make sure they're all moist. And as they come back to life, they will start to burrow into the bedding because they don't like the light, remember? And then feeding. So most kitchen waste can be fed to worms, as well as most compostable items. You'll find a mixed information on feeding meats and dairy in particular. Some people say don't ever feed those items. Some people say a little is fine. You want to really be careful not to add too much if you do decide to feed dairy and meat. Um, Most of that is because of, like, pests. It can attract mice or totally certain flies and stuff so yeah um anyhow do a little bit of research on that for yourself because i was really struggling to find anything that was very clear cut so yeah um you you will as you go through find certain things that your worms don't like um garlic and onion skins are good examples that most worms don't like that for the most part just throw it in see what they like and what they don't like if they don't like it you can just take it out it's not a big deal as we mentioned, worms do need grit to digest their food and just like like just like chickens, which I think is so cool. So make sure to add grit in the form of really anything but cornmeal, coffee grounds, finely crushed eggshells, etc. Um, lots of things can act as grit, but it is absolutely essential. And for those coffee grounds are an easy one too. Super easy. Yeah. Yeah. And for those of us who are used to caring for farm animals, the first thing you want to do when you get your worms is to throw gobs and gobs of kitchen scraps in. And yeah. do not do that. Do Don't not do it. Do it. You want to start feeding super slowly. So remember that the casting bacteria, the poop bugs, are the true yeah. superstars here. And it takes quite a bit of time for those worms to eat, poop, produce bacteria, and then for that bacteria to multiply into a level that will be actually effective in a decent amount of time, right? So yeah, that just takes some time. So start your bin with a small bit of grit and a small bit of veggies because veggies are really easy for them to get through. They're not going to starve because they're also going to break down the bedding as well. 
Um, once the bet, once the bin does get established, you can feed by simply tossing the scraps in on top of the bin. If you're so inspired, you can bury the scraps in a tiny bit of soil. As long as you have a lid and it's kept dark, it isn't necessary to bury it because the worms will come up to feed. If at any point the food is rotting or you're noticing an odor, you need to cut back on the feeding. That just means that you don't have enough worms to keep up with your waste yet, but that'll come. Just give it time. Yeah. So harvesting your black gold and how long it will take to get harvestable vermicompost depends on so many variables. The number of worms, the temperature of your bin, the amount that you've have fed and the specific items being fed, etc. Once the material in the bin is dark black and fairly uniform with a true earthy smell, you'll know it's done. I just, you can't explain that smell either. It's just something mm-hmm. that you can, you just know, I guess you'll know it. My bins just started like, it was like, I could smell it, make the change into yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, it was really kind of cool. That's so cool. And if you have the stackable container, you will just add another tray and add new bedding and food. The worms will work their way into the top tray in a few days time. And now you can just take your bottom tray and use it. So cool how they do that. I didn't realize it was so quick too. Mm -hmm. And if you have a continuous or any other type of container, you have choices. Essentially, you need to get the worms out of the stuff you want to harvest. One way is to build it up like we talked about in the barrel method. So you add new stuff to the top and harvest from the bottom. And this requires a special container with a bottom door. So you can send everything through a mesh sifter and you will catch most of the worms on that. And what falls through will be your vermicompost. But that's messy and totally time consuming. Like if you're into this, you probably don't have that time as it is. Right. (laughs) Another way is to get the worm to move somewhere other than what you want to harvest. You can push all the material to one side and then add fresh bedding and food to the opposite side. They will move over there and then you can harvest your vermicompost that way and some people do the same thing but push everything to the sides and add the fresh in the middle just whatever and you can play around with it too there's not one way works for everyone right yeah i think that was like another really interesting thing about it was just like baiting the worms out of you know where you want them to go yeah right it's like pigs (laughs) yeah exactly you can't you can't you can't force them so you just gotta trick them into it you got to trick them, right. make them think it's their idea. Right. Yeah. Um, so troubleshooting. Um, if you are noticing an odor, this can be from overfeeding. If you're having rotten food, the first thing to do is stop feeding. You can also try burying the food or simply removing it until the worms can catch up. Odor can be um, also from drainage being clogged up. So make sure that the bottom of the tray isn't soggy. Clear the drainage holes if you need to. If you're having worms escaping... So if worms are trying to get out, <laughs> something is wrong, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. That they just want to stay there. Um, I figured worms escaping would just be a side effect of this whole thing, but that's not really true. So <laughs> the first 24 hours or so, it's fairly common to see them on the lid and trying to get out. They just need a little time to settle. Um, aside from that exception, though, worms leaving can mean um, not good things, like um, potentially that they have casting built up too deeply or that the soil is too acidic. So if you just have too many castings, you're just going to need to harvest and you're good to go. If acidity seems to be the problem, then you can add crushed eggshells, more shredded paper, more shredded cardboard, something like that to lower the acidity. And if this is the case, step back and try to figure out what caused your bedding to be too acidic in the first place so you can prevent it. Using peat moss is a really good culprit of too acidic 
of the yeah. substance. Sometimes coconut core can do that as well. It kind of depends. And adding too much citrus can be problematic as well. Flies or gnats. So first off, you need to figure out which one you have. And the, did you know how to tell the difference? Fruit flies and gnats? No. So the, I didn't either. The way to tell is like an easy way. I'm sure it's more complicated than this, but fruit flies fly off when they're startled, whereas gnats tend to scurry. Like I think they okay. can fly, but they don't. Next, so. next time you have that issue, would you please mind taking a video? I'm going to go boo and see what they do. Which one scurries? Yes. That's a gnat. Okay. Gnat. Okay. So fruit flies, if you have fruit flies, it's probably just too much food. Rotten food attracts fruit flies, so feed less. Another thing to try is to bury the food, and then the fruit flies can't get it, and they'll just move on. You can also make a banana trap. Um, So put a banana peel in a Ziploc bag and poke tiny holes in it, and they'll be able to get in but not out, typically. If you have gnats, gnats are harder because they can also harm the plants. So if you do have gnats and you harvest your compost material and then take it out to your garden the gnats can actually damage your garden plants so one way to eradicate them is to introduce beneficial nematodes into the bin oh yeah i know it's so crazy um the worms will eventually eat those but they should be able to get the gnats first wow this doesn't seem like a tail chasing endeavor um (laughs) coffee grounds also seem to discourage gnats you can use five fly paper or apple cider vinegar or red wine traps as well have you seen those no i mean you can do it really just like red wine in a glass Mm -hmm. or kind of like beer with slugs kind of thing yeah you don't know what i'm talking about no i was about to say i've never lived anywhere with slugs but there are slugs in oregon but my entire adult life has been outside of oregon really yeah it's been a very long time since i've seen a real life slug (laughs) go to your local (laughs) gas station i guess you'll see a a lot of them like just humans oh get it it's a joke okay slugs of humans (laughs) like wait what what it Uh, went totally over your head milkmaids at night slow tonight (laughs) <laughs> been at it too long yeah so anyways those things attract them and then they drown and then mold if you have mold so if mold is on the food then you just have rotting food and yeah take it out whatever do your thing if you have mold in your bin then that's actually a sign that it's too acidic rather than too oh. moist yeah which is always the assumption whenever you're dealing right. with mold right so in which case Take the steps we mentioned to lower the acidity. Interesting. So, and then one thing that I, two things, a couple things. I have a thing. I, I know what your thing is. Oh. <laughs> I thought it was in here. You even asked me specifically if it was in here. The only thing I, like... I wanted to include into this episode, <laughs> earthworms are invasive species in North America. Yeah. Did you know that? Not until you, you told me shortly before I started researching this. Okay. Yeah. So they came in the 1600s with colonists mm-hmm. to america so they're invasive species to north america right but no one fascinating no one cares mind blowing really cool right yeah no but like who knew it's kind of like honeybees like there's so many benefits to honeybees yeah. they're not and they're negative. actually the word yeah. invasive gives it such a negative connotation negative connotation mm-hmm. yeah Yum. But I just had to include that. You're welcome. <laughs> That's all I cared about well, for this entire it episode. It was funny because we passed the section I thought it was in. I'm like, oh, God, I'm in trouble. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I pulled it up on my phone really quick to confirm. I had one job. The other what thing that thing? I thought was in here that isn't is I just wanted to say, like, really quickly, vermicompost is done 
at like a ridiculous amount of scale, right? Whether it's like a tiny little bin in an apartment or there's like commercial things too. And scale might also be something that you consider when it comes to how you set up your system, right? A stackable bin is only going to get you a small scale. Like my grandpa who lives in Oregon, which like the weather's perfect for this nonsense. He's got this giant tote. It's like the size of one of those big square bales, like massive. Oh, wow. That's huge. It's just like kind of doesn't really sell it's it's not far from like his door right so he can like easily get to it yeah and um he'll just throw like his scraps and stuff in there and he just had like i forget what his original plan the the original plan was not for this thing to sit outside his door the original plan was to hold something and then get moved right but then yeah like so many things life happens or whatever but he just had like red wigglers kind of show up out of nowhere um, and now they just exist. Like, see, they're invasive species. Yeah. He's like, you can stick your hand in it and like, just pull out a fistful of worms. Like wow. no, nobody's business. And it just lives there all year long. And wow. so he's got this giant worm bin, <laughs> worm bin that he really doesn't do anything with. He's like, it's Accidental just there. Yeah. Worm bin. So anyways, um, that's an option too. If you live in a more temperate climate than we do. See, so you should have had your grandpa mail you some I worms. know. I know I should have, but yeah. And that's the other way to get worms. If you don't want to buy them is yeah. Take to the hippie Facebook pages and there's probably someone in your town or whatever. If you're social and want to interact with people, you can get kefir starts and worms, (laughs) scobies and worms. Yeah. Look for anybody in Birkenstocks. Yeah. Hey, Hey. I would like your scoby. Please. (laughs) Thank you. Any slimy things. I need them. Right. Yeah. Mine. (laughs) Good thing scobies can't have sex. Ew. I mean, <laughs> worm sex is gross. It kind of do. Just differently. Yeah, but don't look that up either on Google. <laughs> Milkmaids after dark. <laughs> this has been Milkmaids. Happy vermiculturing. Happy milking. Happy milking. Bye. Bye.